One more time. Father, I pray that you'll bless your word. Pray that you'll minister to your people. Pray that you'll use this foolish preacher and give, get him out of the way to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible describes three enemies to us as Christians, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These three are there to keep us from having a relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, and designed to turn each of us inward to worship ourselves. Our adversary desired worship for himself in eternity past, as he led all of heaven into praise and worship of Yahweh, he desired to have that for himself. So he convinced a third of the supernatural beings to insurrect and try and overtake God in his glory. His aim was to be worshipped as the ultimate. The flesh is that part of our nature that wants to rebel and disobey God. Paul describes that battle in Romans chapter 7 verse 18 where he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, the the part of our nature that doesn't want to obey God, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. So there's a constant war within ourselves to please God or please our flesh. The two are juxtaposed to each other. Then there's the world. Now this is not the world as in the dirt and the trees and the grass, but rather when the Bible uses the term world, it means a system. The world system is designed to keep people from God and worship themselves. Since our adversary is not omnipresent, that is everywhere at one time, he must create a system to have his global reach and influence God's imagers. This is his counterfeit way of being omnipresent. And throughout the pages of the Bible, we see a tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon. In the garden, we have, a, we have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which really have produced two systems, Jerusalem and Babylon. The tree of life is symbolized in the Bible as the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents one who is born of the spirit directly from God, through God and for God, and will remain forever. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the system of the world and is symbolized by Babylon. Babylon was born of the flesh, from man, through man, and for man, and will ultimately die. And whether we realize it or not, right now, as we live our lives, we are caught between these two systems in the world. One system is determined to exalt and glorify God and his son, Jesus Christ. The other system is out to glorify and exalt man. One following Christ, the other following Adam. One living in the spirit, the other living in the flesh. Jesus, described as the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15.45, obeyed the voice of God, which resulted in resurrection and life. While the first Adam would not obey the voice of God, his life ended in death. And these two systems are spoken of and are symbolic in Jerusalem and Babylon. One system, Jerusalem, is built on faith in Jesus Christ. The other, Babylon, is built on works 
and the efforts of man to justify himself. Jerusalem is the center of worship of the true and living God and the place where God's presence dwells. Babylon is a city of rebellion against God, idolatry, and moral corruption. It represents the forces that oppose God and lead people away from the righteousness that is only found by faith in Jesus Christ through his finished work on the cross. Jerusalem is frequently referred to as the city of God or the holy city. It is the city associated with God's covenant to man and the promise of redemption. Jerusalem is linked with the true worship of God in the temple, and it is the center of worship according to God's commandment. Babylon is associated with idolatry in the worship of false gods. The Tower of Babel is directly opposed to the worship of God and is associated with the worship of man in his own efforts. Jerusalem is the site of the future redemption of the world and the restoration of God's people. It is connected with the vision of the new Jerusalem, which we will get to in the, in the subsequent chapters of the book of Revelation. Babylon will be judged in the very end, which is the chapter we are, we are at right now. Uh, we are currently studying as the consequences of human sin. Babylon's downfall fall is judgment from God for its rebellion and opposition to his authority. So what are the origins of Babylon? How did this system begin? How did it all happen? How did this system arise to directly oppose God and his people? Well, to know the origin of Babylon, we have to go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 10. After Noah and his family emerged from the ark after the flood, God reinstituted his mandate to make the earth like Eden. God wanted planet earth to be like Eden. It was an Edenic mandate to go throughout the earth and multiply. That was the command he gave to Noah. To multiply and to image him through their creativity and love. God wanted to create a world that expressed himself. But what happened was the opposite. Instead of obeying God, man did the reverse. They congregated and gathered. And in direct disobedience to God, God's command, they pursued their prideful desire for self glory. This was led by a man named Nimrod, who I like to call the first Antichrist. Nimrod's name means we will rebel. Verse 9 of Genesis 10 says that Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord, but the Hebrew grammar doesn't mean that he was a mighty hunter for the Lord. It means that he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. In fact, Genesis 10 describes Nimrod as being the architect of many cities, whereby he developed a system to gather people in the name of themselves. One of those cities was called Babel. The central focus of the city of Babylon was a tower that was built to summon the gods, little g, to meld the spiritual realm with the physical realm without Yahweh. Man desired the original Eden, but they didn't want God in it. They want paradise without the creator. So a religion was started right there in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. So how did this religion start? There are many variances of origin, 
but they're all generally the same. Nimrod was married to a woman by the name of Semiramis, and as legend has it, one day Nimrod unexpectedly died. Semiramis claims later on that she was impregnated by the deceased Nimrod, as if there were a supernatural conception. She claims that she had no relations with any man, which means she had a virgin birth, so to speak. She ends up giving birth to a a male miracle child, and they name that child Tammuz. As Tammuz grew, he became a Messiah figure for the world. Three days later, he was miraculously resurrected. Quotes, This child and his mother, then, after his resurrection, were celebrated by the world at large. This religion developed right there in Babel, whereby there was a fixation on this woman and her miracle child. This legend spread all throughout the world and bled into many cultures over the centuries. In China, they called Semiramis Shang Mu, which means Holy Mother. The ancient Germans called her Hertha. The Scandinavians called her Dissa. The Druids called her Virgo Partitura, which means Mother of God. The Greeks call her, get this, Aphrodite and her miracle baby, Cupid. So you see, in every region of the world, there is a fixation upon this woman who miraculously births a child in which died and came back to life. The central focal point of this Babylonian occultic religion was that this woman was elevated more than her child. One of the ways that the different cultures honored Semiramis and Tammuz was by by cutting down fir trees fastening them to stands and decking them with silver and gold. You bunch of pagans. I'm kidding. This is ultimately why our society celebrates Christmas the way it does. And so many of the traditions that we have hold roots in ancient Babylon. Genesis chapter three, verse 15 says it's the seed of the woman who would crush Satan's head. This is called in theology, the proto evangelium. It is the first mention of the plan of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby it is not the woman who is the central figure, but it is the seed of the woman who would be Messiah Jesus. So you see, Babylon is designed to get the focus off of the son and on to the mother. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we see Baal and Ashtaroth as symbols of Nimrod and Semiramis. And you read about the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth all throughout the Old Testament in Israel's idolatry. Semiramis is also called Baalti, which means Milady. And in the, Latin come, in the Latin tongue, it comes to the name Mia Domina, which is also called Madonna. The Roman Catholic Church, and please, if you are watching online, I'm not here to disparage my Catholic brothers and sisters But allow me to act like a Protestant for just a moment. The Roman Catholic Church has publicly declared that Mary is a co-redemptrix along with Jesus Christ. They claim you can be saved through Mary along with Jesus Christ. This is entirely unbiblical and heretical. So with that backdrop, We see here in this chapter, chapter 18 of the book of Revelation, 
And this should encourage you that God will is going to destroy this city, which I believe is going to be a literal city for various uh, places in the text, but also the system that chapter 17 talks about with the whore of Babylon. Uh, it, it, it directly opposes him and Jesus is going to destroy it when he comes back in chapter 19 where the government will be upon his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. Did you know that, that we say that during Christmas season, but literally the government will be upon Jesus Christ's shoulders when he comes back to rule and reign on planet earth. Praise God, hallelujah, what a great day that's going to be. Look at verse 1 with me, verse 1 and 2. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So here in Revelation chapter 18, we are at the end of the tribulation. We're at the very end. Man's rebellion has been dealt with by various plagues and catastrophes on planet Earth. The church, I believe, is tucked away in heaven. And the last thing to go now is Babylon, the world's system. We see an angel in verse 1 coming down from heaven who has been given authority to announce Babylon's destruction. And in verse 2, he declares, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. The word fallen there in the Greek is the word pipto, which means to, listen, fall prostrate and be destroyed. Babylon will fall prostrate to the lordship of Jesus Christ, which was what was once a vibrant, decadent city is now replaced by a disgusting uh, array of vile creatures that no, that, so that nobody will ever revive Babylon again. Because Babylon in its system, the system that, was, that will be created by Antichrist, a one world government, a one world uh, uh, economic system, it is described here as a literal city that will arise in these last days. And it's always Satan's goal to gather the world against God and his son, Jesus Christ, just like he did in Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. Of course, there's many points of view to this, and this is how I see it. Verse 3, For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of of her luxury. Verse 3 says that all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The word fornication there in the Greek is the word pornea. It's where we get our English word for pornography. It's not a literal fornication. It's a spiritual, excuse me, and a, and a, excuse me, It, the world will, will get drunk off of the stupor that she will give to the world. It, they will come, the whole world will come under the spell of Babylon's m- m- uh, materialistic stupor and allure. The whore of Babylon will seduce the kings of the earth 
And she knows that if she can have power over them, she can influence and, and have power over the world. Political leaders, rulers will be swept up into a drunken, rampant frenzy of materialism. They will practice commercial intercourse with Babylon. The same way the ring drove Gollum crazy is the same way the beast system will trap the world like an animal. Babylon will be the precious of those who reject Jesus Christ. Social media, video games are designed to keep you and me releasing dopamines in our brains to get high. Netflix, HBO, Max, Amazon Prime are designed to keep us in our flesh. Not that there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but when they become the ultimate, when they become the thing that we look to to satisfy us, it becomes an idol at that point. It's no wonder that the mental health of Christians is de deteriorating the way it is because we are living in the world's system. They, the world is, the, people are trying to solve their needs by what the world has to offer rather than turning to Christ and the life that he has to offer. The Bible says that if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So my question to you and to me is, where are you spending most of your time and energy? How often do you spend time with the Lord and his people? How often do you remove all distractions just to be with your Savior? And some of you in this room today wonder why you're depressed. Some of you wonder why you're not fulfilled. Because some of you are paying more attention to the world system and what it has to offer than to what you have in Christ. If that's you, then I plead with you today, turn away from the world. Turn away from that which is going to be destroyed by God in the end. And start investing your time in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Look at verse 4 and 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached high, reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So we see here there's a call by God to come out of Babylon, to separate themselves from her indulgences and her sins, that they won't be destroyed along with it. I do believe that this is not the church. I believe that the church is removed before the tribulation period begins. But throughout the tribulation, there will be many people that will come to faith in Jesus Christ as the result of the ministry of the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7 and the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 and many others that will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the call for us as believers in Jesus is to come out and to separate ourselves from the system of the world so that we don't get caught up in its sins and ultimately bring destruction upon ourselves. It reminds me of the movie, The Matrix. Neo, the Messiah character in the film, played by Keanu Reeves, uh, was delivered from the Matrix by a man named Morpheus. After Neo is free, he is reinserted back into the Matrix. But the difference is that Neo is no longer of the Matrix. 
He's not bound by its structures and its systems, but rather he is free of it to move around in it and to free the minds of the people that are still in bondage to it. I see many believers who have one foot in the Lord and one foot in the world. And you know what? They are the most miserable people in the world. Anytime you try to have both, it will torment you. You will never have peace while you're a believer in Babylon trying to indulge in its passions and pleasures and at the same time have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 2.7 tells us that Lot, Abraham's nephew, served at the gate of Sodom. He had a government position apparently. It says his soul was vexed. It was tormented because he was righteous trying to live in an unrighteous city. He had one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord. He was miserable and his character suffered for it. And when he told his family to get out of the city there in Genesis 19, they thought he was joking. Lot's wife looked back longingly at Sodom because she loved it. And as a result, she disobeyed God and God turned her into a pillar of salt. Are you living in both worlds? Are you living in such a way where you have one foot in Christ and another foot in the world? It's time to heed the call of what he says here in this verse, verses four and five. Come out of her. It's time to separate yourself from the Babylon you're in. It's time to separate the friends that you have that bring you down, that have no interest in the things of God. And it's time to do the things of the Lord, which will bring life and peace. Verses six through eight, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup, which she has mixed double for her in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, listen to the prideful response. I sit as queen. I'm no widow and I will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Babylon is a city. John tells you that in Revelation chapter 17 at the end of the chapter. It is a city which sits upon seven hills. There's only one city that famously sits upon seven hills, and that is Rome. Of course, when John wrote this, he had Rome in view. Of course, I believe that it could apply to then, but I also believe it applies to the future tribulation. Babylon murdered the saints of God, so God is going to pay back double during the tribulation, which she took from them. The cup speaks of judgment. And we read where Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, Matthew 26, 39, referring to the cup of judgment that Jesus would suffer on behalf of all of us. But now Babylon is going to receive the full cup of wrath, double for her sins. There's a principle in the Old Testament law which says that if someone breaches God's trust in relationship to his fellow man, they have to restore double what they, what they took. And it seems here the Lord is sticking to his, his law here. This is, the book of Revelation is a very Jewish book, has over 600 allusions to the Old Testament. 
It says in Exodus 22, 9, for every breach of trust, whether it's for an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a cloak, or any kind of lost thing, of which one says, that is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. Look at what she says. She says, I sit as queen. I'm no widow. And the reason for her judgment is threefold. She glorified herself instead of God. She lived in excessive luxury and she displays immense pride. I sit as queen. Why would she say I am no widow? It's as if she's saying, I don't need your help, your charity, your care. I don't need you, God. I believe she's comparing herself. This is just sanctified imagination. Forgive me. But I think she's comparing herself to the woman in Revelation 12, who is the nation Israel. Israel in the Old Testament is, is called the wife of Jehovah. She is in denial of who she really is. And she sees herself as a queen that can never be dethroned. This is a statement of arrogant pride and false confidence that is never accepted by God. We can look at Cain. Cain was upset because he thought his sacrifice was good enough. That his best should be good enough for God. His pride took over and he was upset. But God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice because it was rooted in his pride. His merit and his performance. God only accepts the sacrifice that is by faith. By faith in Jesus Christ. For Hebrews eleven sixteen says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So in verses nine through 13, we see that the kings of the earth, they commit fornication. Now we're going to move from the actual city, Babylon herself to the kings of the earth. And then verse 12 lists a whole laundry list of merchandise. It's interesting to me that the kings of the earth who got rich off Babylon wail as they see her being destroyed. This judgment is so severe, they have to stand back. They'll cry, that mighty city. How it's going to be destroyed, I don't know, but God can do it a, a number of ways. This is interesting to me because they're mourning. Listen, this is so important. They're mourning over their lost wealth more than they're mourning over their sinful condition before the Lord. They are longing for the glory of Babylon more than the glory of God. And I was convicted by this because I was whining and complaining this week about all the stuff that had gone down in our lives and our family and, and including my broken ankle. And I was whining and complaining. I was mourning not having uh, a, a, a good wheel to walk on. And the Lord said, but you have me. Aren't I better? Oh, he showed this to me yesterday as I was studying, preparing for this message. You can tell a lot about a person by what they grieve over. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There are those who mourn before God because of their sinful condition, but they're the ones who will be comforted and lifted up. And exalted. You ever thought about what you grieve over? It could reveal a lot about what's in your heart. I know it did mine. 
And now in this, in, in, we get the merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, and the list goes on. Now let's examine these things that these merchants were profiting from. And there's a couple things here that stand out. Number one, these are luxury items. These are items of opulence, not necessity. When you think of the black horse that represents famine in Revelation chapter 6, you would think that sending aid to help people in its destruction would be the call of the day. But instead, instead, what we're seeing here is a world so depraved that it is profiting off of opulence, materialism, including human slaves, trafficking. And we see that in our world today at an alarming rate. Babylon profited off the backs of slaves. And I could even argue that the system that we live in today is a Babylonian system that is continuing to profit off the backs of slaves. These items are only items that the wealthy could afford. The rich kept getting richer and the top 1% of the world could only afford these things. The fact that cattle and sheep are, are in the same list as human beings shows they have no regard for God or man made in his image. The fact that we see merchants mourning over Babylon's destruction shows that this is an economic situation that we're dealing with. Through the Antichrist system, these merchants will become filthy, stinking rich. But God is going to put a stop to it. He's going to burn it down to the ground. And the scene, this scene, what we're seeing is the economic center of the world that will be destroyed. Now, what does that look like? I have no idea. Uh, I, I think Dubai is a good candidate. Um, but it also could mean a region. We don't know. I don't think the Bible is clear enough in the text to really say. But I do believe it's going to be a city. Uh, as I mentioned my reasons before. Verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for is gone from you and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all. Verse 15, the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches come to nothing. The Antichrist will use luxury to enslave the kings and the merchants of the earth. And they will live their lives for stuff. And I thought about this. That's what happens when we live our lives for stuff. In fact, the number of store, did you know that the number of storage facilities outnumbers the number of restaurants in our country? We are addicted to our stuff. We are a materialistic society. We have way more than what we need. As Christians, Jesus warned us about this in Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And I know that I am guilty of this. As Christians, Jesus wants us to live for his kingdom and not the kingdom of this world. 
When we live for stuff, we choke out his kingdom in our lives and his purposes for us. We spend the majority of our time managing our stuff rather than doing the business of our father in his kingdom. It's not that our, we own our stuff. It's when our stuff owns us. So we see here, God is taking all the kings and merchants stuff a way to show them what's important. It's actually an act of his mercy. It's a means to get them to repent, become rich in God. And the Lord does that with us as well. He will take stuff away from us to show us what's important and to show us what it means to be truly wealthy. Jesus didn't own anything, no real estate, no homes, no nothing. And yet he was the wealthiest person who ever lived. What makes us wealthy as believers is knowing Jesus and knowing each other. And knowing each other, brothers and sisters. Don't you feel like a wealthy person when we're at 363 for a potluck just gathered together and eating? Don't you feel rich? Don't you feel rich when we're at Mardi Gras at, at the Kratz's house? And that big old thing of gumbo, man. And all that crawfish. And we're just together celebrating. And there's ministry that goes on there. Those are truly wealthy things. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. James 4, 13 and 15 says, Come now, you who say, Oh, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now notice the attitude of the merchants. They were afraid to go near Babylon because she was being destroyed. They were wailing because this was the best the world had to offer. And now it was gone. They were admiring how wealthy she used to be. That great city clothed in purple and linen and scarlet. Stones and pearls. And yet they failed to see the corrupt, godless, demonic, materialistic, sadistic nature of that place. And wealth and possessions. Not that there's anything wrong with wealth and possessions. I know many wealthy believers that are really wonderful people. And they use their possessions for the kingdom. I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying being rich is bad. It can be a good thing. But sometimes when we seek after wealth and possessions, it can blind us to the truth of who we are. Every shipmaster who traveled by ship, so the whole shipping industry is going to be totally upended and destroyed. Can you imagine? How much do we rely on China for things coming back and forth and trade with them and what this is going to be like. They're going to stand at a distance in verse 18 and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what is like that great city? There would be mourning by the businessmen and commercial people. There will be businesses all over the world that will be devastated during this period by the collapse of Babylon and its wealth. And many more businesses and economies will be drastically affected. 
And there are at least 30 kinds of merchandise listed here in the scripture, merchandise that shows how much of a commercial center this city will become in the last days. It will be one of the commercial crossroads of the world, probably the central trading and financial centers. And we even see it in our world today. The world is trying to move into more or more of a central currency to the International Monetary Fund. And it's already happening. We have efforts like Davos in Switzerland, where they want to globalize into one economy for the sake of climate change and all of those things. Really, it's a consolidation of power to the top elite. Satan wants Babylon to be the epicenter of the world, the same way that God is going to set up Israel to be the epicenter of the world. Satan wants to be worshipped. He wants to control everything. He wants to be omnipotent and omnipresent. So this city represents that. So when the world's economy stop trading with each other and start trading with just one economic power, can you imagine the devastation it's going to bring to the world when God completely burns it down to the ground? Verse 19 says that these merchants, they threw dust on their heads. This is interesting because this was a Jewish form of mourning and repentance. But the problem here is they weren't repenting. They were throwing dust on their heads, showing uh, they were mourning uh, with a warped motivation. They wanted God to give them their wealth back more than they wanted God. And there's such a thing as false repentance. False repentance is self-centered. Self-centered repentance leads to conflict and chaos. But genuine repentance is God-centered and leads to life and peace. Verse 20, God commands his people, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. We don't like to talk about God's judgment. It's uncomfortable, but it is a reality. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to judge the living and the dead. We will be judged as Christians according to the things that we have done by faith. Not for salvation, but the things for rewards. It's called the Bema seat, the judgment seat. We are all going to have to stand before Jesus someday and give an account of our lives. But if we have put our faith in Jesus, then we are in his presence forever. But then there's another judgment coming, which we will get to in Revelation 20, where people who have rejected faith in Jesus Christ will have to stand before God and give an account of their works to see how righteous they really were. Or they really are. It's uncomfortable to talk about, but we must talk about it. Because as a church, holy fear is a good thing. Yes, we want the love of God. We want the peace of God. But gosh, God, it's like, uh, I think it was um, the, the movie Narnia. Uh, at the very end, was it Lucy who, who, who asked, I forget the character's name. Is he, is he Kirk, you know this. Uh, is he... Is he good? Yes, he good. It, it, he is good, but is he safe? Is that what he said? Something like that? Yes. I mean, yeah, he's Aslan the lion. <laughs> he's still a lion. He is good and he loves us, but he's still a lion. So as the kings of the earth mourn, they're mourning for the destruction of this glorious city. In, in quotes. Now look at verse 20 again. Look at, God mentions the holy apostles and prophets. 
Why does he do that? Why are the apostles and the prophets mentioned here? Because the kingdom of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Notice what it says in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Matthew 6, 18, I tell you, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail it. Verse 21, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down. And then he goes, no, no harpist, no music, no crafts, no light, no nothing. God is going to make sure that this city that this system is never revived again on planet Earth. What a great day that's going to be for all of us. Note that the angel picked up a millstone. Does that remind you of anything? Something Jesus said? Temptations, Jesus said temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. So literally, God is taking a millstone and hanging it around Babylon's neck and destroying it for good. No more celebrations, no more karaoke, no more live bands, no more entertainment, no, no more craftsmen, no arts, no, no more expensive <coughs> indulgences, no more luxury. Babylon's light to the world is going to go out. For your merchants were great men of the earth, for by your sorcery, did you catch that? Sorcery, the nations were deceived. So how did Babylon cast a spell over the whole world during the tribulation period? Or how is it going to cast a spell? The word for sorcery in the Greek is the word pharmakia. We derive our word pharmacy from it. Sorcery is like a drug. It's like drug use. It's figurative language that this Babylon is going to be like a drug to the world. It's going to be the ultimate opioid. Babylon will not be successful because of her wealth and influence and her great power behind it. And she's going to use sorcery and deception to cause it to thrive. Don't be caught up in the things of the world. Don't be caught up and allured by what the world has to offer because it's all kindling. It's all going to burn. Because of what Jesus did at the cross in closing, we look for a city which have solid foundations, whose builder and maker is God. When Jesus comes to get us, and I believe it's going to be soon, possibly 3.30 today, I believe, I'm going to get kicked out now of the church before it closes, uh, I believe Jesus is coming soon. I really do. I really believe that. I think it's all there. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready when that trumpet blows to meet him. I, I am anticipating it. He will take us to a city that's tailor-made for us as people. Because he architected and built it himself. This city is as a bride adorned for her husband. Where, listen, God is going to make his home with us.
God is going to make his home with us in this city. This city will be as a bride adorned for her husband. Where he will make us immortal. The new Jerusalem will have no more death. No more pain. No more sorrow or tears. The last time that you will ever cry will be when you initially meet him. And that's the last tear you will ever shed. The last time you will ever cry. And it will be over. This city is where you will spend eternity with Jesus, with the Father and the Holy Spirit to never be apart from him again, ever, ever. You will be in constant ecstasy and joy in his presence. You will love and be perfectly and completely loved. In this city, you will never be tired. You will never be weary. You'll have perfect fellowship with God and with each other. You will have no opposition, contradiction, or friction You will never have a doubt again, ever. And you won't even be corrected there. Impossible? No. Unfathomable? Yes. But all we must do is look at the scars on his hands and feet to know that he will take us all the way. We are currently being sanctified, but one day very soon we will be glorified in his presence Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me, that in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And how long has he been preparing that place for you? For 2,000 years. Come Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you that Babylon will soon come to an end. And thank you. That we will live forever in your kingdom. Never to be separated. Oh we so desire. For you to come for us. But we also want to be faithful and occupy as you have commanded us in your word. Until you do come. Help us to occupy, but help us to be excited about what you have for us. That no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has that ever entered into the heart of a man. The things that God has for those who love him. We praise you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.